Yes, of course. Burl Bearer. <laughs> I've known a few writers who were rogues and vagabonds. And I'm Roger Moore. I didn't supply the microphone. Live from the gleaming, streamlined, state-of-the-art studios of OutlawRadioLive.com, nestled in our secret bunker somewhere in the Los Angeles area, the following program is produced by Magic Matt Allen on the Outlaw Radio Network. I am the legendary Burl Bear, the man right there. Howard Lapidus. Yes, I am. When you talk about these being streamlined, state-of-the-art yeah, studios... people buy that. <laughs> no, I know they do. So why don't you explain to them what... Well, you, we're what actually... You mean? Uh, this wow. is the uh, lightened-up lounge. Uh, it's, uh, it's a replica of an 1876 Virginia City-style bar built in Matt Allen's backyard. <laughs> that pretty much settles that. That's pretty uh, streamlined. Thank yeah, you. And the guy over the corner would be... The guy in the corner who we seldom let speak is Mark Boyer, our <laughs> fact-checker. Who has no facts for us today. Oh. I have facts, but our guest... Uh, well, you have all the facts in the world, but it, they, they matter not. Yes. Burl. Uh, hi, I'm Burl. And uh, Doug Bops. We got Doug. Doug, uh, Doug, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I mean, Burl and, and Howard, I really appreciate it. Can you hear me all right? I'm, oh, yeah, yeah you sound can. great. Yep. sound like are. a real person. But but if, if he's on a speakerphone, you know, please. Uh, yeah, if you're on a speakerphone, get off the speakerphone. Just talk into your phone like a normal phone. But, Doug, I, I'm, right. really, I'm really glad that you were somewhere near a phone about 20 minutes ago. Yeah. <laughs> we, we, we were hustling to get Doug. Because Leonard Bouchel, our close personal friend uh, uh, and former drug smuggler, in fact, uh, on our downloads of the show, uh, his episode is one of our most popular ones. Is that right? Yeah, drug smuggler finds recovery at the movies. <laughs> Was I on that show? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah probably. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Yeah. He doesn't. Doug Howard uh, doesn't remember much. Uh, you two have a lot in common. Not that Howard's ever been to prison, but. <laughs> Funny. <laughs> uh, no, and Howard was executive producer of Celebrity Rehab, the popular television program, which I'm sure you're familiar with. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Oh, Lord, huh? Yeah. Yep, that yep. too. That too. That too. Yeah, he's really something. Anyway, we're going to talk to you today about, uh, I know you're under more pressure than an astronaut, but we want to get your story, and uh, I'll give you a little background here. Uh Leonard had me do some research on uh, what was called the National, or what is called the National Addiction Foundation, uh, which is one of these things where, you know, the toll-free number, you see it on TV, you hear it on your radio spots, if you're suffering from addiction, call us, it will get you hooked up with the right kind of uh, facility. Right. That's right. And uh, there's two kinds of scams involved there, as you probably well know. And the first one would be what, Burl? Well, the first one is <laughs> they're, they're selling off those leads like any other sales organization to the highest bidder. Right. And the other one is where it's actually the rehab itself is saying, we'll line you up with the appropriate rehab. Right. Which would be them. Them, yeah. <laughs> right. So, Doug, tell us about your adventures in recovery. How did you get into this whole thing? And uh, what have you seen? <clears throat> about my story and like how I got sober and everything? Yeah, a little bit of that and a little bit about, uh, have you encountered this patient brokery stuff, too? I mean, I personally haven't personally encountered the pension program. I mean, I know what goes on. I've read about it. And I mean, I think it's horrible. And I think, you know, anytime you put a dollar sign uh, on, on somebody's recovery, I mean, it's never a good thing. And I think the you just never know, like, 
you know, people's intentions sometimes when, when it comes to, because, I mean, people are now trying to make money in this, in this, you know, opiate drug epidemic. I mean, everyone wants their fair share, and they just don't know who's real and who's not. Their fair so share. Times, well, I, I, yeah. I, I found that to be an interesting comment, their fair share. <laughs> their fair share of the opioid crisis. If you knew how many times I'm approached for us to be involved in patient brokering, um, right. it's it's really sad. It, uh, and it's everybody thinks that you know for a buck we'll we'll go do it. <laughs> no, for a buck we won't. Yeah. Uh, There's a thing about ethics. I know it's something like that. Yeah. yeah, it's the weirdest thing. Some people still have them. <laughs> no, yeah, and I, and I don't think it. I don't think they're getting their fair share. And, and obviously, it's not right. But I think people like they want to all. Everybody wants a piece of the pie, even if they're doing it for the, for the right reasons or for the wrong reasons. It's kind of hard to know who to trust, who not to trust. And you get all these people. That are market they, they, these treatment centers now have all these like people who just market and they travel across the country and they're like they're talking about their treatment center and you know like it's the only place. I think that's where it really gets into a bad a bad thing because then you're you know advertising that your treatment center is the only thing and you know and it's because sometimes people are paid based on how many people they get in the beds and you know that's. It's not like selling cars, you know. It's not, it's not <laughs> no. same, How about if if, if you business. if you or a family member has a problem, get to a hospital as fast as you can, then they'll figure it out. Yeah. How about that one? <laughs> yeah. That's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. That's the, one of right. the things that I always ask uh, in my research on rehabs. Where is the doctor? Yeah. If this is a medical condition, where is the doctor? You go find the doctor. Find a doctor. Yeah. So tell us your story. As long as we got you here, might as well hear it. So. Um, you know, growing up, I was a knucklehead. I sold, I sold a lot of drugs um, as well, and um, I was, you know, heavily addicted to Oxycontin when I was um, 18, 19, 20 years old, and I found myself arrested on Cinco de Mayo of 2008 with a half a pound of pot, $2,000 in cash, and I thought my life was over. I mean, I was, you know, suicidal. I had just had no hope or anything. I mean, I was just a kid who had just, you know, barely got through high school and wasn't going to college. And uh, I got when I got arrested, I got charged with the fourth felony with the intent to distribute marijuana. And several months later, I went to court. The judge convicted me of the felony and was like, you know, Doug, I'm sentencing you to five years. But I'm suspending everything but 90 days. You can do five years probation, 200 hours community service, all kinds of drug classes and fines. But he's like, Doug, if you complete everything without messing up, I'll take the felony off your record. And, and at that point, like, I, w I didn't think I was going to make it to C25. I was 20 years old. I was hopeless in the depths of despair. And I just see that. I said, you know, all right. You know, and I got out. I got, I left court, and I had to report to jail a few weeks later, and I got out and started using again. And I detoxed cold turkey when I reported to jail of, of Oxycontin for three weeks, and it was horrible. It was so terrible. And my cellmate was like, you're going to start working out with me. And I was like, there's no way I was just going to. I had never formally exercised. It could have been a model for Pillsbury at the time, seriously. <laughs> and um, But I decided to give exercise a try. My cellmate was like a more jacked version of Brad Pitt from Fight Club. And uh, I remember getting down to a push-up, couldn't do a push-up, could hardly do one for my knees. And with his motivation and encouragement, I was able to do like 10 push-ups and run a mile by the time I left jail. And I felt like there's this transformation inside of my, my head like clicked. It was like, you know what, I'm going to do this. I'm going to beat this addiction. And I, I kind of half believed that I half didn't, but I knew that I was either going to go one way and I was going to end up alive or I was going to end up um, the other way and end up dead back in jail or a combination of both. And I ended up getting out. He gave me a working plan that I still have in my place today, so I never forget where I came from. Um, I lost 50 pounds. 
And then I got certified as a trainer to help other people use fitness to change their lives. And I've been doing that for about seven years. I haven't touched drugs since. And um, uh, the felony ended up coming off my record in 2014 because I never missed a drug test, never failed a drug test, did all the stuff. Um, and it was a big moment for me. I mean, I remember going to court, and he was like, I never do this. Like, I never get to actually show what the judicial system can do in a positive way. Um, and he took the felony conviction off my record. And then I wrote my first book back in 2014 called From Felony to Fitness to Free to inspire people to make the most of their second chance, turn negative into a positive, and focus on how far they've come and not how far they have to go. And, you know, one of the things my cellmate always told me was, just, I was like, how am I ever going to repay you for helping me out? And he said, just keep paying it forward. Just keep helping people. And that's kind of what I've been trying to do. And now with my third book, it's, you know, workingly titled The Titans of Recovery, um, the infamous to the famous give to the famous to the infamous give their top tips and tricks on how they've gotten and stayed sober. So I'm interviewing a hundred different people from all walks of life. You know, actors, musicians, you know, people, business people, you know, people who work in grocery stores, all walks of life on how they've gotten and stayed sober and whatever path works for them. Because I personally didn't get sober in AA. I respected tremendously, but it was never an option for me. I I never went to any meetings or anything. But I know that. I mean, I practice a lot of the same principles that AA believes in. You know, I, I'm spiritually grounded. I hang out with good people. I I practice, um, you know, getting rid of all my baggage and inventory and resentments. And I've made amends with my family, and I have a good fitness program. And I just, I'm, you know, and I serve. I mean, I'm a man of service, too. So, um, but I wanted to, to showcase that people don't get all get sober in the same way, and they all That's get right. sober whatever way That's works right. for them. So. I wanted to showcase a bunch of different people. I've, the goal is 100. I've got, like, 60 people I've interviewed so far. Um, i got, like, another 30 committed, so I'm at, like, 90. So it's been it's been hard because I'm not in the treatment industry. I'm not in the media business to so tracking down some of these people. They're like, who are you? And I'm like, oh, I own a fitness business. Like, I'm really passionate about helping people's recovery. Um, but, it's, I mean, I've been very blessed with how much success I've had. I mean, I've tracked down some pretty cool people and talked to some amazing people and heard some great stories. So, Our, uh, our fact checker, our fact checker uh, Mark Boyer, has a question for you. If you can get up to the microphone. Go ahead, Mark. What was uh, your uh, cellmate in for? My cellmate, Eric, was in uh, a bunch of different burglaries for uh, me to steal one stuff out of people's homes to sell to get money for heroin. Oh, that so makes he, sense. Yeah, he was in there for ten years, not in the county jail, but he was in prison for ten years and was on the county in the county jail I was in on a um, on a detainer. He was waiting to go to court for a, a violation of parole or probation that he had here in Maryland. So, but yeah, I mean, I'm very, very thankful and very blessed that you know he was in my life. Well, that was a, a nice synchronicity for you. If he hadn't been there, your life would have been a lot different. Yeah, I mean, I, I dedicated my first book to him, and I always, like, you know, I just remember what he, I have the, the like I said, the workout routine sa- saved in my family room, and it, just, it has words of wisdom on there, and I just, he always told me to just keep paying it forward, and that's kind of what I've been trying to do, is just pay it forward and help people, and that's kind of what I'm hoping this new book will do, and um, we go from there. What uh, What is the linkage, or what is the, the big benefit, or the, the brain change that comes with fitness uh, in terms of recovery? Um, well, I mean, I think, you know, anytime you can exhibit a positive dopamine response in the body, I mean, I think you're, you could never go wrong. I think fitness does that. It releases the pleasure muscles whenever you feel so good, or the pleasure, excuse me, um, 
neurotransmitters, you always feel good after you work out and doing things that are healthy to manage your stress and manage life day to day activities. Because let's face it, like the trauma or whatever, you know, problems we have going on in the world that we were sometimes masking with drugs, um, they don't go away. So we have to find healthy ways to manage it. So I think that fitness is crucial. Um, and giving the brain a positive way to manage stress and then thrive in recovery. It's interesting. Years ago, I was at the, my chiropractor's, and he adjusted my neck, and it just felt fabulous. And I said, I got a question for you, I asked uh, uh, the uh, chiropractor. I said, what is that that feels so good? It's like this pleasure just rushes. He says, well, there's, there's three things, he says. If you, uh, that release these pleasure chemicals. Is one, is, one is sex. You know, if you have an orgasm, you get this pleasure release. The other is if you haven't had saturated fat for a long time, if you haven't had like a hamburger or something for like months or weeks, and you get one, same thing happens because there's pleasure sensors in your tongue for saturated fat. And he says, when I adjust your neck... I'm intentionally doing the same thing. I'm causing the release of these pleasure chemicals in your brain. So I had a great idea. I said, how about next time I'm having sex, you run in the room, shove a hamburger in my mouth, and just my neck. <laughs> you know, always the radio guy that wants way too much. Yeah, that's it. You can't settle for the hamburger. Can no, you can't just settle for the hamburger. Right. Those of us who want pleasure, we want it, not in moderation. <laughs> How does that fit in today's show, your hamburger uh, well, story? Well, uh, I think it fits in because it's like uh, there was research done on cocaine, for example, in the advertising industry, that a small amount of cocaine, a small amount of this nervous system stimulant, stimulated creative thought and for great ideas. So the typical American says, well, of a little bit, a tiny bit, a microdose is good. A massive amount. <laughs> Must be great. Must be great. No. <laughs> That's not how it works? That's not how it works. Oh. No, no, diminishing returns. But uh, uh, I don't know if it's an American thing or a personality thing where, you know, nothing exceeds like excess. And uh, yeah, I, you're right. <laughs> well, what was it? The uh, oh, what's his name? The guy who used to do the late night talk show. It's in recovery. Uh, Craig Ferguson. Yeah, Craig. Craig Ferguson. Uh, he said, "What would you like? You know, do you wish that you could drink like a, a, a normal person?" He said, "No." <laughs> <laughs> that, that's all. No, that that would you know that no. If he was going to drink, he wanted to drink like an alcoholic. The thought of, uh, you know, not getting that ex excess uh, was not appealing. I think a lot of people don't get that. But it takes a, it does take a brain change. And I was fascinated about you, this thing that you're doing with the, the fitness aspect of recovery. Uh, that, that there's been a lot of research that says you're absolutely correct. That, uh, that, yeah. And yet there are yeah. very few rehabs that actually incorporate that. Which I think is. Crazy. I know, yeah, and it's like we're always the first, people always want to throw medicine and they want to throw this, which I, I mean, I'm not trying to debate that. I think there's obviously a place for medication, but why not start with some of the natural things you can do to nourish your body first? Because, you know, I think we try to just stick band aids on things instead of actually like addressing the root of the problem. And, you know, I think fitness, nutrition, like, I mean, because think about like the way we eat too. 
you know, it really, you know, you can really balance your hormones in a good way if you eat right because if you're, you know, you're throwing your blood sugar and your and your mood and everything else through loops, if you're eating a ton of sugar and if you're eating a bunch of stuff that's not really providing your body with proper energy, I mean, it's going to be a lot harder to manage stress and to have the energy to get through group therapy when you're in rehab or to get through, you know, a lot of the stressful situations that happen when you're in early recovery. So let's face it. There's no better time. You want your energy, you want your sleep, and your mood to be better than when you first stop stop using drugs. Because when there's a whole chemical shift that's going on inside of your brain, and if you're filling it with crap, I mean, it's gonna be a lot harder to manage. Yeah, and there's also other side effects of, of of not eating right, such as having all your arteries clogged with saturated fat. Oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah, that too. Yeah, I, I had uh, uh, my first exciting heart attack about 2005. Uh, I was so clogged with saturated fat, they were going to, like, you know, drain me out and uh, use me, uh, you know, at uh, uh, Sonic <laughs> for their burgers, I guess. But, uh, and then another one uh, I had just uh, recently, uh, due to the fact that my, my stents slid out. <laughs> I think it's a class action suit down the rice in there. Got to check into that. But uh, I was, uh, I've, I've been in a couple exciting rehabs. One of them, the uh, the theory was that the underlying problem was sugar, and if you deal with the whole sugar issue, it would make a, a big impact on recovery. I don't know how long that flew, but but that was uh, that was one of them, one of the things. But uh, so what 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 is how does your uh, your program work? Let's say if I was if I came in and said, hey, you know, I'm I'm trying to uh, get my life together, trying to get. Uh, you know, not uh, drink or drug or whatever. Uh, how, you know, what, what, what would you do with me? Well, I mean, I do a lot of, like, personal coaching where I have, you know, programs where I work really from the ground up. I work a lot on, um, you know, goal setting. We would go through, like, your, your health goals. We go through, like, who you're hanging out with. Um, we go, like, a lot of self-esteem things as far as, like, setting goals and, like, your energy, how you feel about yourself, nutrition, because, I mean, it's a, it's a health and fitness professional i try to make sure that like i'm really incorporating like a multifaceted approach when it comes to your nutrition when it comes to your meditation when it comes to your your you know working out and making sure we have a good foundation for that and i also try to work with other people too because i'm not skilled as a clinician or a therapist or a psychiatrist so i try to you know when when it needs to refer out because i'm not a i'm not a replacement for you know rehabilitation but i believe that fitness and nutrition can be a huge pool in the belt for any. I mean, whether you're struggling with addiction or not, to be able to have a strong foundation. Yeah, one of my uh, one of the things I say is you don't have to be a drug addict or an alcoholic to have problems related to drugs and alcohol. It's not an right. either or thing. You know, you could be a heavy drinker, not an alcoholic. And as Bill W said, the difference between a heavy drinker and alcoholic is a heavy drinker can stop. You say, well, I'm fed up with this nonsense. I've had it. You know, I caught my limit, and uh, you know. But uh, the person who wants to stop, but for some reason they have this compulsion to keep doing it, that's a whole other issue. Yeah, I agree, hundred percent. You know, I always uh, this little thing that used to cross my mind. Think about if you're an alcoholic or uh, or actually have a severe addiction, you will go to any lengths to get what you need. Now, it always seemed to me that if you took a real hardcore alcoholic or, or someone who really had a strong addiction and put them in a rehab, they would go to any lengths to get the hell out <laughs> and get a drink. 
And yet I've seen some really heavy, heavy, heavy drinkers go into rehabs, and bam, they, uh, three days later, you know, uh, they're cocaine addicts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was up to do one for the other. Yeah, <laughs> Although yeah I mean, it's crazy, isn't it? It is. Well, you know, there's also that hierarchy of, uh, you know, the uh, the people who are uh, heavily into alcohol look down on the cocaine users, and the cocaine users look down on the... <laughs> So what is that hierarchy? How does it, how does it go? Uh, it depends on who you are. Okay. <laughs> you know, it, uh, it depends. Whatever you're doing is one that's okay. <laughs> and it's the other people who are screwed up. I figured that one out. So everyone's screwed up but me, Howard. I'm not addicted. I can quit any time I want. Well, in that case, how about you want? <laughs> no, I don't. People who do want... And I find it very, very interesting that, like, say, in your program, but the fitness plays a big role and the nutrition plays a big role in uh, opening up the mind. It releases those chemicals, also makes your body feel better and does cause somewhat of a transformation in league with other things that a person may need. But a person has to actually want some sort of transformation. Do they, Or can they be transformed whether you want it or not what's what's your feeling on that uh i mean i i definitely think you have to want it i mean i think some obviously there's some times where you're forced into a situation where you're forced to want it but i think it's like you know you got to want it for yourself first before i mean before you can really want to change i mean and you, you all have those points where we're like that's it no more that's enough and you know i think you know, unfortunately, you know, you wish that if you had a loved one that's struggling that you could want it for them, but, you know, you got to want to change. you got to want to, you got to want it bad enough, and you got to believe in yourself enough to know that, like, life's going to be better, you know, two, three, four, five months from now, two, three, four, five years from now than it is today if you do the necessary things. I mean, if addiction really is a disease, I mean, we got to, I mean, people, you know, just, they got to treat it like they have to do everything they know necessary to beat that disease, just like with cancer, just like with diabetes, like you, you got to do the right things, otherwise you're not going to, you're not going to get well. I mean, it's just like a diabetic who doesn't take your blood sugar medicine, they don't take your blood sugar medicine, and their diabetes is not going to get any better. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, it makes total sense. Yeah. So, I mean, but unfortunately, there's, there's people that, I mean, I think we just... Yeah, it's just like, there's a lot of situations where people just don't. Maybe they don't have the right opportunity, or maybe they just are told that they, they're not going to make it, or they're it's just stigmatized. There's obviously a variety of things, but you know, getting back to your original point, like you have to want to change, and you have to want to not only change, you have to want to get well. I mean, because once you get, because you're sober from drugs, doesn't mean you're healthy, and that's why I think some of my clients who have struggled with addiction really, really see the benefit of with the exercises they're not only now staying sober because they have these healthy tools to help them manage their stress they're also a lot healthier i mean they, they're losing weight they're they're, they're at a healthy um, blood sugar level their blood pressure's down they're off medication i mean all this stuff is is just at the root of the problem because you know we're going to manage stress in a healthy way or an unhealthy way i mean it's just the way it is you got the guy who's stressed out for business comes home and drinks a bottle of wine because he doesn't want to think about what tomorrow brings or you got somebody who's struggling with you know, being bullied at school or whatever, and they're coming coming back, and they're you know smoking this or snorting that, and and so exercise can just play a huge role in combating you know these stressful and traumatic situations that we're unfortunately put in sometimes. Sometimes even uh, research showed that 
a brisk 10-minute walk has a significant impact on mood, whether it's depression, uh, desire to use. And a friend of mine who's a fitness trainer here in Los Angeles on her blog put up and said, let me chase you around the block a few times <laughs> and, you'll, <laughs> and you'll see <laughs> for the difference it makes. And some people said, she was rather good looking. Some people said, well, how about if I just let you catch me? <laughs> <laughs> Again, with a getting caught, Burl. Oh, yeah, getting caught. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I, I cannot emphasize enough, like, working out, I mean, to, to people in recovery. I mean, I'm trying to, I mean, I'm always like, you know, we we, we, we over-prescribe and over-prescribe certain things, you know, before we even get to the root of the problem. And, like, exercise is one of the most underutilized antidepressants there are. And food is the most over-abused, uh, you know, anti-anxiety thing. I mean, we, we get anxious, we eat, we get stressed out, we eat, we exercise. It's like, we know what makes us feel good. We, you don't hear anybody say that, man, I feel like crap after I worked out, unless, of course, there's some, like, injury or something happens. But, but I think, like, also, like, we got to do what makes us feel good. I think with exercise, in my business, fitness industry, you know, people are always, like, wanting to do what other people are doing and not focusing on what they like to do. And I think they got to get back to, like, doing things they enjoy. Otherwise, they're not going to do it because you can't really be, you know, externally motivated if you're not internally motivated. So, so what did you say What did you say your tipping point was? Your, my your, tipping point when I, was in, when I was in jail and my I couldn't do a push-up for my knees, and that was right. it. I was like, man, what have I done for myself? And I got out, and part of my motivation was nobody really believed in me because if you're not in the rehab, I was like, screw rehab, I found fitness. I didn't, like, necessarily believe that that was going to change. I, I, just got, I just took it one day at a time, and I knew that I got about two, three, four, five months down the road. I was like, wow, like, I don't have any, I don't have cravings. I don't have this. Like, I feel great about myself. And then it just, it just became like a snowball effect. I started, you know, changing my friends. I changed my habits. And I guess the rest is kind of not history, but that's just kind of like, you know, what happened. I mean, I was never, I never was told to go to AA. I just was told, you come back into my courtroom, you're going to be in a cell with Bubba. And I knew I wouldn't last long in a cell with Bubba, so I didn't want to go back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, it is rather an amazing thing. The, the research shows that one of the most effective ways of getting people to cut down and eventually eliminate something from their life is, is not to uh, beat them over the head with it, but usually it's a friendly suggestion from someone they trust that says, instead of drinking five bottles of wine a day, yeah, maybe drop it down to three, and the person will do it, as opposed to, you gotta stop! <laughs> Sometimes incrementally like that, just show non-threatening, non-spotlighting it, just, you know, start the process of uh, the mind being open to make some some changes. Yeah, I mean, and and I think we all, like, we all respond to things differently. I know for me, like, that, that scared me enough in a way to... To, keep, to get get started and get on a straight and narrow. I mean, I know a lot of other people would have shared or, or could, they wouldn't have responded that way. But it worked for me, and I'm not saying it has to work for everybody else. So I saw me. One of the things he told me that really stuck with me to this day is he said, you, I was like, you know, I was crying, I was bitching and moaning and blaming other people. Oh, yeah, that's always said, fun. <laughs> he looked at me and he said, Doug, he's like, you can either be a man or you can be a wuss. He didn't say wuss, he said something a little harsher. But he said, you can be a wuss and sit there and cry in the corner and blame everybody for your problems. Like, that's easy. Like, everybody does that. Like, say, well, it's me. Or, like, or you can be a man. He's like, you got yourself in the situation. He's like, you decided to use drugs to get yourself into drugs to mask whatever pain and trauma. He's like, be a man and take responsibility and make the right choices to get your life back together. He's like, that's up to you. 
He said, I'm not going to do it for you. Your parents aren't going to do it for you. And it stuck with me. And I just think about that. And every, every, thing, every piece of adversity that I've hit in the last 10 years, my recovery, but, you know, you got to take responsibility. And I think a lot of people have lost. They like, like to pass the buck on uh, other people and like, just blame somebody right. else. It's really yeah. easy. Well, when we all have our opportunities every day to how to respond to certain situations. Well, so, as, so, as Burl Bear says, blame is only important to drunks and lawyers, often the same thing. There you go. <laughs> so you've brought, yeah. you say you've brought good 90 people or close to 90 people through? For the boat? Uh, yeah. Well, into into the into the program, so you you do help people. Oh no, no, I was talking about as far as um, no. I mean, I I've, I've I've worked with people in recovery training and fitness life. Okay. I've said ninety people for my book for the book I'm writing. Oh, okay. I've oh, I see. Hundred different people, and I've I've booked ninety. I've interviewed sixty. Actually, one of my favorite interviews was with Bob Horace. Uh, he was awesome. Um, I'm sure you, Howard, you know Bob. I'm sure, right? Mm-hmm. Very well. Yeah, yeah. So he was phenomenal. Um, but you know, it's just been I've been I've just been really thankful to get to it's a bunch of different perspectives on addiction and recovery, and just be able to learn a lot. I mean, I, as a person being I mean, I worked at a center where I trained a bunch of patients for years, and I learned a lot about that side of things. But as far as like the stigma and the addiction side of things, and why people were doing this and that, I really didn't know too too much about it until I started learning. Ah. Uh. Times are tough all over. You know, the, I was, uh, I should say counseling, because I'm not a registered counselor, but I was, so I was uh, chatting with someone the other day, who just kept having these reoccurring crises, dramas. I said, you know, just like you throw a ball up into the air, it's always drawn by, the, by gravity to the center of the earth. And we are drawn to the center of self continually no matter how far we try to rise above it we're always going to be drawn by gravity to the center of self and we keep doing the things that we have the synapses in our brain for doing over and over and over and over and over again whether they work or not and when times get tough we tend to rely on doing the same things that never worked and now it's not a conscious thing like i'm going to do what doesn't work but i'm going to do what is the familiar path you know, which is always which for the most part wrong. Which just doesn't work. Yeah. You go. You know. Why isn't? Why am I again in a situation where there's too much drama, there's too much stress, and with people that are all screwed up? That's marriage. Yeah. <laughs> well, you would know. Well, I suppose. Yeah. yeah, and that's like I think one of the things is like I always tell people to surround yourself to bring the best out of you. Surround yourself with people that are going to push you further into your goals. Uh, you know what I mean? We push you we go there towards you know where you're going in life, and not closer to where you were. And um, you know, I think I think one of the biggest hardest things for me was getting rid of my friends that I hung out with for years because we, you know, hear people say, "Well, I have known Johnny for ten years or fifteen years," or, and it's like I had to learn to hang out with people who had common futures with me and not common past. And I still respect people. Like, I don't hate people. I don't not like people for, for that. But I just knew that if I wanted to stay right, stay sober, continue to help people, continue to help myself, I just couldn't be around that anymore. Mm. Well, you, so, uh, you got your guard up. You're not going to follow those old traps again, are you? No, no. Oh. And it, <laughs> and I've been very thankful to like meet people like Leonard. You know, I just threw the book. I mean, this is all, I met Butter just through, the, through writing this book, and just, I just didn't know a lot about the industry, I mean, I just didn't know, like, who was open about their recovery, who wasn't, and, you know, I just 
reached out to Leonard, and him and I kind of hit it off. He's been very helpful with me so far. Well, Leonard's great. In fact, he's the one who uh, gave us your number. Yeah. Uh, Leonard Bouchel, the Real Recovery Film Festival, is coming to Los Angeles in October. As it always does. As it always does. Yes. I remember the first one we did, the little tiny silent movie theater, and yeah. Ben Stiller was there, and showed, uh, was it what's called, Permanent Midnight? Yeah, Jerry Stella. Yeah. That's, uh, <laughs> yeah, actually, there's a three or four short-minute... Uh, um, video about my story is going to be shown at the film festival this year. Hey, great. I look forward to that. So, so you guys are in L.A., right? Yep. yep. Yep, in our secret bunker somewhere in the Los Angeles area. <laughs> well, let's I'd pin it down. Connect, when I come out there next, I'd love to connect with you guys. Oh, that'd be great. Well, come and uh, do the show uh, in, uh, in, in studio, as we say. Yes, in our gleaming streamline. <laughs> well, yeah, he'll get to see the streamline. It looks like a bar. I hope that doesn't bother you. <laughs> Oh, no, no, whatever. I, I have no, no judgment here. I mean, it's been it's been a pleasure to, to talk to you guys, and I sure respect you tremendously and what you both done. And, and well, we appreciate you take. We know you're under heavy pressure. Yeah. You, you have another commitment that you've uh, got to go do something brilliant. But we do appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to share your story and your observations. We will have you back. Yeah. Thanks a lot. All right. Burrow and Howard, I will connect with you guys on Facebook, and then we can connect when I'm in L.A. Thanks again for having me. Oh, my pleasure. Look forward to seeing you. Thanks, Doug. Nice. You're nice. welcome. Bye-bye. Now, maybe we can get Magic Matt Allen to... Uh, uh, Do what, exactly? Uh, to give us a 60... <laughs> say, oh, there we, I can hear his voice, the disembodied voice to of Magic Matt Allen. Exactly. Yeah, that's... <laughs> what exactly? Yeah, what, what, what did you have in mind? I had in mind him giving a 60-second or so break. Uh, what, are you going to catch your breath? I'm going to catch my breath Why? and uh, get some out of the other room. i got some right, research material for you. All right? Oh, okay. All right. That's about all the time I have. That's, uh, well, maybe we appreciate it because and... you're a, a major broadcaster. Well, <laughs> hold on. Hold on. Ladies and gentlemen, please stand by. Here, uh, you can... I can? We'll be go right to... back you can go after to... this. <laughs> go, go to break with, uh, <laughs> by talking up... Uh, well you, get, well, you got bitched by the stones? Oh, there you go. That's a great song. <laughs> yeah. da -da 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 All right, here we go, Bill. Uh, go ahead, oh, Howard. You take it. It's, it's, it's not for me to oh, 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 oh. I think we're going to take a little break at Outlaw Radio. True Crime Uncensored, Outlaw Radio. Magic Matt Allen produces his Yes, he does. And he does it well. He's a star. <laughs> Session with you 24 hours a day on any phone or device. And it's all free. Just go to your friendly app store and search for Outlaw Radio. Then look for the red letters on the sign with the bullet holes in it and download it. It's free. Listen free on the road, in your car, at the beach, or in your backyard. It's all free from Outlaw Radio. This is Buddy Twist. 
saying goodnight from Hollywood. Broadcasting from an 1876 Virginia City, Nevada style bar in the hills of Encino in my backyard. Nary five feet from my bedroom, ten feet from the bathroom. Back to True Crime Uncensored with Burl Bear and Howard Lapidus. Yes, we are. I've heard of them. That too. Mark C.G. Boyer is now awake, which is good. <laughs> yeah, it's good. Boy, I was worried there He's for back. A He's I, back. Maybe OD'd. No. <laughs> uh, no. Now, uh, Featuring Mark C.G. Boyer. Uh, As you know, I am an investigative true crime journalist. Yes, we know that. And uh, I was asked to do an investigation. Okay, by by uh, Writers in Treatment, publishers of the uh, Addiction Recovery e-Bulletin. Okay. And they asked you to research what? The National Addiction Foundation. They want you to research the National Addiction Foundation for good or for bad? Yes, exactly. For both? For both. Okay, so what would you find out? Okay, you ready? Yep. Here's, here's my report. Thousands of dedicated professionals from diverse disciplines devote their lives and careers to the treatment and prevention of addiction. And they do so with sincerity and the highest standards of professional ethics. The recent highly publicized scandals involving unethical and or illegal practices are neither common nor acceptable to most addiction service providers. These scandals impact the entire recovery community by undermining confidence in and respect for addiction treatment providers and mental health professionals. One recent revelation of wrongdoing involves patient brokering or body brokering. Uh-huh. A widespread method of patient brokering uses online websites with toll-free numbers that ring call centers offering to help the suffering person get into appropriate treatment. There are two similar yet distinct techniques used by online patient brokers, as explained by addiction expert and ethics advocate Paul Hookmeyer. First, an independent person or organization creates a generic treatment help website that directs people to a generic toll-free treatment helpline. These phones are typically manned by young people, often only several months in recovery, with no clinical experience. The caller, usually the person seeking help or a family member, is asked generic questions and then told they're being assessed or evaluated by the specialist. Eventually, a referral suggestion is made to a specific treatment center. In truth, what's really happening, explains the doctor, is that the person seeking treatment is a sales lead, and that lead is sold to the highest bidder. Numerous treatment centers are paying for these leads, never mind that the caller has not actually been evaluated or assessed for their necessary clinical needs, and never mind that the treatment center purchasing the leads are admitting patients that often are clinically inappropriate for their center. It's simply a tactic to put heads in beds. The second situation involves a similarly generic website and toll-free helpline, but this time the website and phone number are not owned by an independent party selling leads, but rather owned by specific treatment centers in collusion filtering patients to their own doors. This brings us to the National Addiction Foundation. Self-described as dedicated to helping people with issues of mental health and or medical condition of addiction connect with appropriate and affordable treatment options. The NAF has more red flags than the NFL. We did have a name change, confirmed Wendy Hart, secretary of the National Addiction Foundation. When we were first called the National Assessment Foundation, 
But the new name more accurately reflects our primary concern in the scope of our services. I'm happy to say that we have received our official status as a registered not-for-profit corporation in the state of California. As of January 22, 2016, the Office of the State Attorney General Database of Registered Nonprofits has no entry for the National Addiction Foundation. It is possible, of course, that the online database has simply not been updated. The Foundation's website has a button to push to make donations. Two donations to the Foundation were made as part of my research, but no receipt noting the tax-deductible nature of the donation was provided. The National Assessment Foundation is registered in California as a small business under the designation of a club with three to five members. The president of the National Assessment Foundation slash National Addiction Foundation is Aaron Hart Brower, who, according to public records, is also the primary contact person at Recovery Bridges LLC and Laguna Detox in Costa Mesa. This raises potential issues of perceived conflict of interest and brings us back again to our concern over accurate assessment being an evaluation of your insurance not your medical condition. The foundation maintains high visibility being social, uh, via social media such as Facebook and Twitter. The foundation's official website has not been updated since spring 2017 when it was already claiming nonprofit status. The website provides two phone numbers for free consultation. The number linked to receiving accurate assessment took me directly to the main switchboard of the Southern California Treatment Center. The Foundation's website kindly assured me that everyone at the National Addiction Foundation is in recovery from issues of mental illness and or addiction. The rehab industry is the only business that touts having mental illness and or addictive disease as positive, reassuring qualifications. The website doesn't say, quote, mentally ill drug addicts are standing by to take your call, but the About Us section has no information about the people behind the Foundation, other than they have all faced the conditions of mental illness and or addiction. Do we also want eye doctors with vision problems, oncologists with cancer, or cardiologists with heart disease? The upbeat and dedicated young woman answering the toll-free number for accurate assessment in November 2017 was exactly as Dr. Hochmeyer described. She'd recently completed drug treatment, had no clinical training whatsoever, and was honestly eager to share recovery. Question, when doing the free accurate assessment, I asked, do you use the ASAM criteria? Well, what's that? Well, it's the standard of accurate assessment protocols. The ASAM criteria is guidelines that give clinicians and care managers a way to standardize treatment planning and determine where patients are placed in treatment, as well as how to provide continuing integrated care and ongoing service. Uh, oops, excuse me. Uh, I just lost my place here. <laughs> With the ASAM computer-guided interview, the interviewer may be conducted by any properly trained team member. Are you one of those properly trained team members? No. We just ask the client what the problem is and what kind of insurance they have. Oh. Wendy Hart, secretary of the National Addiction Foundation, was friendly and cooperative in, uh, in answering our questions. Uh, she said, we do use the ASAM criteria uh, in a modified form. Uh, many of the questions are the same. As the people we have answering the phone are not clinically trained, we didn't want to burden them with too much. But yes, it's important to know what exactly the situation is, and we do take great care to make sure we suggest appropriate treatment. Well, why does the National Addiction Foundation phone number for accurate assessment ring the general switchboard of the Southern California Treatment Center? Well, everyone at the National Addiction Foundation has a vested interest in the recovery industry in one way or another. We're all recovery professionals working together in the best interests of those who call us. But we do not automatically 
send people to the treatment centers where we work. Oh, no, we're far more personalized and thorough than that. We give the client a list of, a list of at least three treatment centers that meet their needs. Do treatment centers pay you a referral fee, or do they bid on your clients? Absolutely not. We do receive donations from treatment centers, but there's no quid pro quo. Treatment centers donate to us because they like what we're doing. Well, do the treatment centers you recommend have doctors on staff to treat the medical aspects of addiction? Well, all rehab should have a medical doctor who knows about addiction or, or one they can call in case you have to take someone to the hospital. Simply having a nurse, especially when there's no training in dealing with addiction, is not sufficient. Conclusion. At this time, I am regretfully withholding endorsement of the National Addiction Foundation because of two significant issues described by Hawkmeyer in the underbelly of addiction treatment, a look at the unethical and illegal practices of saving lives, published in March 2017 by the Maryland Addiction Recovery Center. The misleading use of the term accurate assessment implies medical psychological assessment when it's an evaluation for your insurance coverage. The direct connection between the foundation and specific treatment centers in which the members of the board of directors may have a financial interest and or employment, both issues will hopefully be corrected or significantly modified in the near future. If you or a family member has concerns regarding issues of mental health or questions regarding drug dependence and or addiction, contact a board-certified medical professional with a specialization in addiction. And then it mentions uh, that uh, my opinions are my own. <laughs> well, yes, they are. I, um, I almost have to uh, recuse myself because I do know a lot of the people that you just mentioned uh, in, uh, in most of those situations and, and how they work. Um, and you got to be careful not to get... <laughs> <laughs> yes. You, you can be on uh, on one side of it, and um, almost was, but but um, you know you get to a point where you go, well, what, what are you really doing here? And you get the answers, <coughs> and they're not necessarily the ones you're looking for. But um, like we said earlier, if you've got a problem, call a doctor. Go to the hospital. Uh, you know, uh, seriously, an emergency room. Um, you know, anything like that, and it'll be handled from there. Um, you don't necessarily have to call uh, a number uh, in the back of LA Weekly, and, I'm, and I and I shouldn't say LA Weekly because they have nothing to do with this. But uh, um, in the back of anything, anything in the back of right. your comic book. Yeah, uh, I apologize to LA Weekly because they don't do, do stuff like that. But but it's it uh, uh, the people that you do uh, that you mentioned I know do very very well. Mm -hmm. uh, have they been through addiction? As far as I know, yeah. Um, and did they figure out a way to stay sober? Uh, yeah, money. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's very sobering. Right? Yeah, I, I suppose. Um, um, and I'm not saying they're bad people. They're no. not. They're not at all. Um, but um, and and their intent, albeit somewhat negative in your research, there their intent I don't think is. Yeah, I agree with I, you. I think their intent mm -hmm. is 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 quite positive. Uh, you know, to get people off the street uh, and into some sort of a program somehow. I think uh, where, where the problem comes in is when you go, gee, we can really help people and... Well, and make money and, and anything you're doing. I don't care whether it's yeah. this or, you know, playing records for a living. It's it's and how much money do we make? Yeah. And uh, then they figured out a way to make, to make money. Uh, look, uh, the, the price of treatment... Not to scare anybody away, because insurance will cover most of it. 
But the price of treatment is anywhere between thirty and forty thousand dollars a month. And there are some that are uh, like bait shoe valve for four thousand or less, or they'll take it for yeah, free. Yes, you f find your you, yeah. f you, f you find the bait shoe of the world, and 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 that's what's that's what's necessary. Uh, and you're not, you know, you're not stuck in a in a in a, in a deathbed detox. Well, uh, you know, overlooking the Pacific Ocean. Yeah. Uh, you know, some of them are, are quite nice. Uh, but, Very nice. Uh, it, yeah, it's not necessarily about rehab. It's about money. I like uh, money. Money's good. Yeah, There's nothing good. wrong with money. Money's good. Money's good. But um, Although it's hard, as Burl Bear says, it's hard to travel light with a safe chain around your neck. Yeah, right. <laughs> Is that you that said that? I said that. When? Just now. Okay. <laughs> I'm good for something. So, so let's back up. The the thing that you read, you wrote. Yeah. And you were um, commissioned to do this research. Yeah, I wasn't paid. I did this as a public service. To. Uh, this is for uh, the addiction recovery e bulletin. Okay. Because uh, uh, I think it's important. We think it's important for people to have information on uh, on what's going on out there. And we have had some real issues with patient brokering here in California and in other places as well. And uh, it's problematic. Um, it comes down to, uh, I think, if you're dealing with a medical thing, is first question is, where's the doctor? If, 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 yeah, addiction is a, is, a, is a disease. Yeah, I, I tend to use the term medical condition because, says, well, it's not a disease like cancer. Well, no, it's more of a disease like asthma or heart disease. Well, the... the Asthma and heart disease are not like cancer. You know, no, it's, either. It's, yeah. I find people that go, well, you know, uh, uh, if my aunt could just cure her cancer by stopping. You yeah. Know, well, no, no, no. You've got. You're, you're not understanding what. Yeah. Addiction is. Yeah. You don't understand. And uh, people think addiction is something. Well, you just go out on a bender and you get drunk every day, or you're you're smoking dope, or or uh, shooting up. That's addiction, and you can just stop doing that. No, but that's not. That's not addiction. In fact, what is it? Uh, uh, if I can remember the numbers correctly, and with heroin, uh, you have about a 40-some percent chance of, if you use it, of getting addicted to it by doing, like, seven-time users, you know. But there are weekend warriors. Right. There are people who do it and stop. In fact, most people in the world who have... Change your name. Huh? Oh, you got that right. Yeah. <laughs> I just talked to her last night. Oh, yeah, of course you did. Now, here's a perfect example. Someone right. whose name we mentioned recently. Both go into detox. Now, this is what I don't understand about some facilities. Good detox, good place, very well known. Supposed to go in at uh, eight, uh, 10 o'clock in the morning. Didn't make it there till 4 in the afternoon and was turned away. Now, it seemed to me... Was it Thursday? Was the... the <laughs> yeah, <no. laughs> was that you? <laughs> no. But things to... Uh, well, what do you expect? You know, you're going to turn the person away and not take them to detox because they got there late? So, so what is the story there? Uh, this is what I don't understand. Another person I know was in a rehab, and, and they, you know how they, they give medications to some people. This person swiped some of the medication and was handing it out to other patients, and they wanted to kick the person out. They said, well, what do you expect? <laughs> I'm here because I'm a drug addict, and drug addicts behave in certain ways, and I'm here because I want to change, but I have these compulsions to do things that I shouldn't do. That's why I'm here. Yeah, let's let's cross the barrier first. Yeah, which has to get done. If they're in the door, yeah, then it's time to get treated. Yeah, 
if you're not uh, if you're just in the beginning of treatment you're going to act the same way well, yeah. as you were yesterday yeah so expect the person to be you know cured or helped or have made advances because they've been inside your doors for 12 hours or 24 hours is absurd Yes. And, and if you're working on a punitive model, it's not, you know, we're going to punish you for not being well by kicking you out of treatment <laughs> because you're not well yet. It's one of the only treatment things, the illnesses, where in order to get treatment, you have to not need it yet. <laughs> well, sort of, sort of, sort almost, of, depending on where you're, depending you're at. Depending on where you're at. Yes. It's, uh, it's, it's problematic. It's like being addicted to radio. It's as many times as it's bitten me, I keep going back to play the hits. When will I learn? You won't. I won't. No. Well, no. Once, once you got the radio bug, once you, once you played the hits. They never go away. No. As bad as you may be. Yes, and <laughs> as bad as the PD may be as often. Well, there's that. <laughs> uh, I was only a PD once. That was enough. I was uh, a couple times, and um, I wrote a damn good memo. Yeah, that, I bet that you was did. my that was my, my claim to fame. And not that I, did, I programmed well, but I wrote a memo. Uh, what was the memo? And the memos would always be, uh, you know, to follow the format that I put in there, albeit the format was really lame. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I created a lame format. Yeah. By God, you're gonna follow. You're it. gonna follow it, damn it. <laughs> when I first went to work at KOL in Seattle. They had a format wheel, and at 28 minutes and 30 seconds after the hour, this little pie slices says, element of humor. Element of humor. <laughs> element of humor. <laughs> Who was the genius that put oh, that God, in? Oh, God, I don't know. But uh, Element of humor. Is that the only place it would go? That was, that was it. But as this Pat O'Day, great pro, uh, five-time winner of the Program Director of the Year Award, once said, Burl, you wandered outside the format corral. <laughs> I used to call the hotline for no damn good reason. Just to scare the hell out of That, by the way, sign of a bad program director. Yes. Right yeah. <laughs> Calling you, a guy in the middle of the shift. You and Steve Kingston should get a room, Howard. Yeah. <laughs> no, I stopped doing that when I learned uh, that was wrong. Well, you you had to learn that. Oh, yeah. That, that wasn't it, that wasn't. You sort didn't of, learn that it, from it, being called yourself. Was, <laughs> well, first of all, I wasn't I wasn't trained to be a program director. Hey, Burl, In the beginning, so. it's, it's called being power hungry. Yes. Oh, is that what that, it is? Yeah, I was power hungry. I was twenty three. It doesn't doesn't matter. I was. 23 doing yeah. afternoons at uh, KRBE in Houston, Texas. There you go. Right. Yeah. And I wasn't power hungry. I was just there to grab some ratings. Yeah. Yeah. Get all you can. Yeah. Should Get be an eight, though. You know, it should be an eight not to F with the uh, the talent. Yeah. Well, no, that was, oh, oh, I know. Th I learned that right away. I that did. was the great I, thing right about the great thing about uh, Pat O'Day was yes. by, and Dick Curtis, two great program directors. And uh, actually, I was offered a job. This guy I never knew. I never knew Dick Curtis. Great guy. Great guy. A, a talented guy? Oh, hell yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> he, Second uh, time today we're talking about Dick Curtis. Yeah? yeah? Yeah, that's right. I told you Dick Curtis story. Great yes, Dick Curtis story. Yeah. He gets a phone call, Matt. This guy says, I've got pictures of you having sex with so-and-so at the Hot Springs Motel. Yeah. And Dick was a married man at the time. Without missing a beat, Dick says, Oh, wow, man, you could keep the negatives, but could you send me some prints? My wife really gets off on that. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's funny. <laughs> 7 o'clock at KOL. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. Anyway, so I get, uh, Paddle Day calls me up when he wants me to meet him at, uh, at uh, 96K. <laughs> he wants to talk to me about being program director. 
And uh, I said, let me get this straight. I said, I know you. You've got, you're here and Dick Curtis is here. Two of the best program directors I ever worked with. Winners of the Program Director of the Year Awards. And you want me to be program director when everything I know I learned from the two of you. And the two of you are here. I think what you're looking for is someone to sit in that chair and if the ratings are bad, you got someone to blame. And if yeah. the ratings are good, you uh, give the credit to and the sales department. No. Nuke me before I ask no. for a raise. No, Burl. That's why. That's why they they uh, uh, hire consultants. Yeah. Those are the, the oh, those the are the guys. Goats. Yeah. Those are the guys. Yeah. I think it was a consultant who told our PD Robin Mitchell that during the ratings they should only have eight oldies that they play in rotation. Is that <laughs> if right? If I ever hear Puff the Magic Dragon one more time. Where's the research there? <laughs> oh, I don't know. Yeah, but, yeah. you know, listen, Pat O'Day, I don't, I don't know if he's a brilliant program director. I don't, I don't think he is. I think he's a, uh, a funny, clever guy, and I've always liked the guy. But, you know, he's the one who went with no recurrence on KYX. He thought that was the no recurrence. That's going to make it work. Yeah. Yeah, like, <laughs> Only new stuff. I've solved oh, no, it. No, no, I've no. solved it. I've solved it. He no. told me that at lunch at the, uh, what was the old? He was probably operating at the bottom of a bottle he, of Jack Daniels. He, but, but he was. He was drinking. He, hey, kid, you want to? And I said, no, I'm too young to drink, Pat. <laughs> I think, you know, I think we've established that. But he's talking about it. He said, yeah, Matt, Matt, no recurrence. What do you think of that? And I'm thinking, I don't know about, much about programming at 16, you know. But, <laughs> yeah, sounds good to me, Pat. Yeah, yeah. Whatever you well, want to Pat will be the first to admit, because I brought this up to him. We had a conversation one time. Uh, and he said, you know, Burrow, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take uh, old gold 77 KXA and make it bigger than KJR ever that's an AM station in an FM world. Right. Because I was operating out of the bottom of a bottle of Jack Daniels at, a, <laughs> at that time. Uh, yeah, how, however, however, this little AM station playing oldies in Los Angeles is beating the hell out of KABC. Oh. Yes. Beating yeah, the hell. Dumb. I mean, little AM station with no advertising, by the yeah. way. No billboards, no nothing. Word of mouth. Play, filling that void uh, that K-Earth now doesn't fill. That's right, because K-Earth only has 12 songs. It's true. It's it true. true. I know. I listened to it yeah, so for 12 know, minutes. I heard everything. I, hey, love, Burl. I love little success stories yeah. like that. There you go. Burl, what's next? Magic Man out of the Demons of Decadence is live for the Light of Loud. Now, see, I was going to lead you into that, but this intro is so long, I was going to give you enough time to get... There are like five posts. But really? Yeah, huh. this is just one of the first ones. Boom, 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 boom. I wish you were playing, might as well be walking on the sun. I like that one. Oh, yeah, it's a great tune. Sounds like Northwest Rock and Roll, that one does. See, now you can feel where it's going. Yeah, I can feel it. I can, I can feel it. 